the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello and welcome to the Situation Report. This week, it is great to have you with us. This is the show where we do our very best to give you the information you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Stonlicker. I'm here with Chad Robichaux. And today we're going to talk about an issue that uh, all of us have heard about, most of us have an opinion about, but I think very few of us really understand the facts, the realities, and the unintended consequences of this issue. And the issue in front of us today is that of renewable energy. Uh, I think most of us would say we want to protect the environment. We want to live in a place that has clean air and clean water and all of the rest. Uh, but the ideas of fossil fuels and the fuels that we're currently using to move our country and to get us where we need to go uh, have been politically pitted against other ideas, these technologies that produce these other renewable energies. And this is something we really need to understand. Um, I'm here in California, Chad's in Texas. And so we're living in kind of two different worlds when it comes to energy. Uh, but we really have to understand what this is all about. I think a big, a big problem with this topic, like many topics we face, important topics that we face in our culture today, is this become, like you said, a issue of politics. Yeah. I mean, if you believe in a uh, solar and fan, you know, fan energy defense and a, I mean, that means that you're a socialist or right. liberal. <laughs> right. And if you believe in fossil fuels and fracking where you're conservative and you're, you know, you hate the environment and, uh, you know, <laughs> you, yeah, I mean, we just get yep. put in these pigeonholes based on, uh, these views. And, uh, and the truth is beyond our opinions and our positions, I think, uh, most of the time we're not looking at the facts. Right. And uh, I think we really need to just crack down and look at the facts. What's actually, where tech, where's technology today? What's truly available today? And what are the consequences of making changes too soon or not making them soon enough? And I think we just really need to look at the facts. We got, I mean, I know today we have a great guest that can help us look at it from an economic yep. standpoint and tell, uh, tell the truth behind some of these uh, positions that we all have. Yeah, excited about this conversation. Um, this is one that you know I think all of us have with friends and family and people that we know. But there are real facts, as you mentioned, underlying this. And to help us with this is our guest today. Uh, so grateful to have with us Mark Moss. Mark Moss is with us. He is an investor, a business consultant. His YouTube channel is Market Disruptors, where he deals with investing, success, and mindset. And uh, Mark, thank you so much for being on with us. I know you're very busy. Appreciate you taking some time with us. Yeah, thanks so much. Always happy to jump on and have a conversation. So you have a long history, uh, among other things, with the energy in industry. And we're going to jump into the specifics of renewable energy. But can you give us your background dealing with, with some of these technologies and, and your experience with them? 
Yeah, um, I, I can. I, I definitely don't want to say that I'm an expert. I mean, this not has not been my area of expertise for sure. That being said, I have been investing into um, oil projects for quite some time. Um, I did I did grow up in Texas, and uh, I still have some <laughs> investments into some oil fields even today. Um, most recently, I was working with a publicly traded oil company um, at the beginning of the year to start launching uh, using their natural gas to do Bitcoin mining. Um, so I have some experience on that side. I also uh, owned a, uh, a a residential solar company, mm. um, and I worked in that space for four or five years. Um, so I I'm, I'm not just a fossil fuel guy. I've also been on the renewable side as well. Um, but I'm I'm not an expert. I'm not an engineer. But I but I have worked in both of those industries. Yeah, very good. California is is kind of known for driving the movement in the U.S. and global uh, globally towards 100 percent dependence on renewable energy sources like solar, like wind. Uh, yet, you know, during the recent COVID-19 lockdowns, even with all the business closures, the power grid couldn't even support enough electricity to power homes. So can you give us a little primer like about California's energy policy and, and how that connects to the rest of the country? Yeah, sure. So I, so I do live in California and uh, I made a video uh, about that. And I think that's kind of what's caught some attention, but um, I do live in California. And as I said, I worked in the solar industry and what's happened in, in California um, it's, it's just policy. And so what's happened is again, this push to uh, moving everything to renewable energy. And I mean, it sounds great and we all want to save the world, right? Um, the point, the point that I was trying to make is that everything in life has trade-offs and people don't understand that, but in regards to California, what they've done is they've put in mandates to move all of our energy into renewables, which again, sounds great. But in addition, what they've decided to do is shut down existing energy sources. So, um, we have in California, there's three nuclear reactors. Two of them have already been shut down. The yeah. third one is scheduled to be shut down. In addition, they've shut down other um, energy plants, natural gas energy, et cetera. And so we've shut all of this capacity down and to move to renewable, but it's not there yet. And so because of policy, what we find out is now all of a sudden here in California, we have blackouts. And uh, yeah. at the time, I think this was uh, August or uh, I think it was in September, uh, you know, we, it was hot. And it was hot. It was uh, it was definitely a hot time of the year. It was obviously the summer. Um, it's not near as hot as you might find in Arizona or something. Um, but we couldn't keep the power on. And at the time, I was down in Mexico, in a town with one paved road, and they had no problems keeping their power on. <laughs> and so it kind of just brought this to the forefront to see that the reason why we don't have enough energy at a time as you just made the case, um, everything's locked down, businesses are shut down office buildings are shut down, malls, everything's shut down, movie theaters, so that the energy consumption is a lot lower than normal. Even at that time with lower than normal energy consumption, we couldn't even keep the lights on. Uh, we are inundated with information about renewable energy right now. And I live in Southern California as well. Chad actually is in Texas, so. Um, <laughs> both sides. Both sides. and. Uh, but constantly, this is the conversation. We hear things about the Green New Deal and how um, you know, so many of these technologies are the answer to every problem that we have. Uh, but one of the realities, I think, and this is something you have talked about, is that the technology does not support what we're trying to do with some of these so-called renewable energies. Uh, can you give us an overview of uh, where these technologies are and maybe where they're not is a, is a more appropriate way to put that? Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, for for my research um, and, and, and what I've put together, I mean, First thing we have to understand is that 
we're dealing with like real laws, like natural <laughs> boundaries that are right. set. So we have natural boundaries that are set by laws of gravity, gravity, inertia, friction, mass, and thermodynamics. So we, when we start talking about getting energy from solar or from wind, we have those constraints that um, those are natural laws. Yeah. And so it's not like, oh, technology is just going to improve it and we can get past natural laws. At the end of the day, I like to say that we can ignore reality, but we cannot escape the um, the outcome of, of reality, right? And so um, what what we've seen is that technology has come a really long way. So for example, wind power technology has, has had massive improvements. As a matter of fact, um, we've seen, you know, 10 times gains. Um, we've also seen the same in solar, but how much more gains are possible? So for example, um, solar technology is, is constrained by the physics um, for silicon photovoltaic, that's the PV cells. And there's something called the Shockley-Quizert limit. And it's a maximum conversion of 34% of photons into electrons. So getting a little bit scientific, but we have to convert the photons. So it's 34% conversion of photons into electrons. The best commercial PV technology today is already exceeding 26%. So 34% mm. is the ceiling. We're already at 26%. So we've made massive improvement, yeah. but we don't have that much more to go. So can they get more efficient? Yes, they can. But how much more is the question? And the answer is not that much more. Uh, we can also look at wind, wind the same way. Again, we have the physics boundary for wind turbines. It's called the BETS limit. Um, it's a maximum capture of 60% of kinetic energy in the moving air. And today, commercial turbines already exceed 40%. Wow. So to go from 10% to 40% was a big move, but we don't have that much move left. So that's kind of some of the constraints that we have um, with those two types of technologies. You say you're not an engineer. You sure sound like an engineer. Those were a lot of engineer words. <laughs> yeah, just just research. <laughs> yeah, very good. So I mean, so really, we, we're just not there yet, and we don't know. I mean, there's no no evidence that we ever will be there. But yet, there's this this agenda to to get to renewables by implementing this while we're not there. What is there a global impact? Is there environmental impact? What are the un, what are the unintended consequences for switching over to these technologies too soon? Yeah, those are great questions, um, and and I'll answer them. I'd, I'd like to throw out just a couple more stats that I have prepared here, um, just so we know. Um, so, wind and solar sound great, of course. Um, uh, we uh, we understand that you know we're getting close to where the peak is. I do believe that they're going to improve. We still have room to improve. Um, so maybe we should wait to go into full-scale development until the technology is even better, right? Why should we why, why should we go spend everything and build it all out right now when technology is not there? So maybe we should continue to develop technology another decade or two before we yeah. go full-scale. That being said, um, one thing that also we need to keep in mind is that the sun's not out all the time. Right. The wind doesn't blow all the time. Right. So how do we account for that, right? Energy, you know, natural energy, whether it's gas or oil um, or, or, or nuclear is 24-7. And we need, we need energy 24-7. Uh, so what happens when we don't have that? Well, we have to store the energy somehow. And so how do we store them? Well, we store them in batteries. Now, everybody's familiar with Tesla. They're the big stock market darling. Mm -hmm. um, they've built what's called the Gigafactory, which is the world's largest back, uh, battery factory. And um, they could, it would require them a thousand years of production to make enough batteries for just two days worth of U.S. electricity demand. Wow. 
So it would take them the biggest battery factory we have in the world, wow. take them a thousand years wow. to store energy for two days. In the meanwhile, again, back to trade-offs, there's 50 to 100 pounds of materials are mined, moved, and processed for every pound of battery produced. And these batteries are like a thousand pounds. So um, again, we're, the more constraints that we have, all right? And we have to understand the trade-offs that are there. So for example, um, making this stuff is not clean by any means. We have to use carbon in order to make it. Um, and, and when we compare it again, everything has trade-offs. So if we spent $1 million on utility scale wind turbines and solar panels, over 30 years of operate, it would take 30 years of operation to produce 50 million kilowatt hours. That same million dollars spent on natural gas over the same 30 years would produce 300 million wow. kilowatt hours. So from 50 wow. to 300 million. So um, it's not just about the energy, it's also about the money. And if we want to get into the economic side of this, um, Right now, the, the U.S. budget, is, is the deficit is about the same as the income. So we have about $3.5 trillion of income. Our deficit is about $3.5 So where do we get the money to spend into this? And shouldn't we be spending our money as, as efficiently as possible? So that's another question. Um, but anyway, Chad, you had asked uh, – I'm sorry. What was the question that you had asked? Why, why are these policies in place? I wanted to take a minute to let our audience know about the work that we do through an incredible veterans nonprofit called the Mighty Oaks Foundation. Many of our nation's warriors struggle with the hardships of military service and reintegration back into civilian life. Often they leave broken homes in their aftermath and comprise one of the most at-risk groups for suicide, with over 20 veterans who take their lives every single day. Mighty Oaks tackles this critical issue with our faith-based peer-to-peer resiliency and recovery programs offered at no cost to our honored servicemen and women at beautiful ranches across the United States. Mighty Oaks has one of the highest success rates of any program available anywhere. Visit MightyOaksPrograms.org to learn more about how you can make a direct impact in the lives of our servicemen and women to help them find a new life purpose through hope in Christ. Again, that's MightyOaksPrograms.org. Witnessing the transformation that these men and women go through is absolutely incredible. There are no words to describe seeing warriors restored to the lives they were created to live, changing their legacies for eternity. Your support is needed now more than ever and will ensure that our programs are here for our warriors who are in desperate need. Again, the website is MightyOaksPrograms.org. I mean, I mean, if we're, and clearly you illustrated so great, so greatly that we're, we're premature. We should be looking at development instead of implementation at this point, but yet we're seeing the implementation. So what's the consequences? What's the unintended consequences of implementing so soon? Obviously. I mean, the unintended consequences, there's many. Um, Obviously this gets a little bit, I I think it should get into a little bit of a more of a, of an economic debate. And so I believe that um, all the money printing that we've had, the inflation is the cause of almost every problem that we have. Um, and so we need to get back into a budget living on a sound money. So when we go and spend, you know, whatever the Green New Deal or now they call it the Biden deal, you know, they're proposing to spend anywhere <laughs> right. from 30 trillion to 100 trillion dollars. Well, where does that money come from? Right. And the money we don't have. And so what are the un- unintended consequences of printing 30 to 100 trillion dollars? That's massive. <laughs> I mean, 
we we're we're at you know we're at 26 trillion or whatever 28 trillion dollars of debt right now and all that debt creation has caused these booms and busts and caused these wealth transfers and caused this inequality this wealth income gap all these things imagine how exaggerated that gets if we go print another 30 to 100 trillion over the next whatever five ten years so that's a massive amount of unintended consequences right there the implemented technology it doesn't exist (laughs) <laughs> to implement a technology that isn't capable right now, um, you know, and, and it would, but at, again, right, like uh, how big of a project, how, how much time, how much resources do we want to uh, dedicate towards that? Yeah. So when you consider all of that, is there a path forward? Uh, you know, in California, we, we kind of go under the, uh, we're going to mandate the transition and it will happen by this date. I'm not sure that's the path forward. Um, but as we look to the future, I mean, 40, 50, 100 years down the road, is there a moderate approach to this or is it a, an all or nothing approach? How do we move forward with some of these technologies? Well, they're definitely a very nuanced argument. Um, and so what I would say, first of all, is what we see is that we are having policy driven by um, politicians and bankers right. Right. But they're not the experts that know about running yeah. oil or natural gas or, right. or, or, or solar. So it's, it's cool for Biden or, or Bernie Sanders was pushing it originally, like, we're going to go all renewable. But what does he know about that? Right. Um, and so we've seen this play out, for example, we can just look at Venezuela. Venezuela was one of the richest countries in the world not that long ago. They're one of the most natural resource rich countries in the entire world. I believe they have more oil than Saudi Arabia. Well, well, but yet what happened is they nationalized that. So they had all these oil companies there that were producing oil and things were great, but they decided, Hey, we're going to take over. We're going to nationalize the oil industry. And they put a bunch of cronies to take over. But what do they know about running oil companies? Sure. And guess what happens today? They can't even get the oil out of the ground because they don't know anything about it. And so that's the problem of when you take, you know, uh, private industry who specializes and focuses on this and knows how to run it. And then you just put bureaucrats in charge. Right. And yeah. so that is definitely a big unintended consequence. Now another, and so this is a nuanced argument and, and, and we can go into lots of arguments about why do we even think carbon is so bad in the first place? And is it really as bad as people think it is? And is it really something that we should be focusing on? I mean, those are definitely conversations that we could have, um, but just uh, without even going into that rabbit hole, um, what we can easily say is, well, if we think technology is all that and it can solve every everything, and we think that technology could potentially even get past these laws of nature, which I don't think it can, <laughs> wouldn't we also say that technology could probably make natural gas cleaner? Sure. Couldn't technology make getting oil out of the ground cleaner? Mm. So we could easily make progress there. Um which might be a better argument than trying to think that technology can break the laws of nature. So Mark, with all that in mind, I guess, why are they cramming us on our throat? Why are they pushing this agenda? And, and also for me personally, who is the they? Uh, <laughs> who, who, who are the they that's pushing it and why are they? Yeah. Well, the they are, are, are pretty broad and, and, and pretty expansive. Obviously, uh, as I've already kind of said, Bernie Sanders is the, really the one that pushed the Green New Deal forward in the United States. Um, and so that's not, you know, that's, that's, he's out in the open about that. Obviously, Biden now calls it the Biden deal, but it's still a version of the Green New Deal. But it was brought together by Bernie Sanders. And Bernie Sanders is the very first politician that ran on a socialist platform. Right. 
right? So he runs a socialist message. And again, that's what he proclaims. Um, but we also see this happening from the World Economic Forum. And so we have these um, NGOs, non-government organizations. So we have the UN, the WEF, um, the IMF, World Trade Organization, World Health Organization, et cetera. And so the World, the World Economic Forum is really the one that's pushing this move to renewable energy. And um, they're also calling for this great reset happening next year. Um, when you dig in and you understand what it is that they're pushing, again, they're pushing socialism and communism as well. So we have uh, social, the, the rise of socialism is coming uh, uh, at a full assault. We have uh, BLM that's risen up, obviously, and they're calling for socialism. They said, they're, they're, they said, quote, they're trained Marxists. Obviously, again, Bernie Sanders runs on that. So when you understand socialism, then you can understand why they're pushing renewable energy. And so you have to understand what socialism is. So um, if you understand socialism, you have to understand Karl Marx which just recently I've had to go back and, and, and really do a lot of research into him because I thought I understood him, but I, but I didn't understand him as deep as I thought I did. So um, under Karl Marx and under his teaching of uh, moving, it moves capitalism to socialism and socialism moves to communism. That's the approach. And what they have to do is they have to make the case that the world is in imminent danger and will be destroyed. Mm. No way around it. So they have to make that case, which of course we're seeing this all in the news. AOC went on the news yep. uh, recently screaming, the world will end in 12 years right. <laughs> if we don't fix this. They're literally saying that Al Gore has been calling this for 20, 30 years. And of course the world never ends, but right. they're calling for imminent end to the world. So that's, that's again, per Marx, per socialism doctrine, that's what they have to call for. Then in addition to that, what they have to do in order for people to believe that the end is imminent, they have to believe, they have to also make the case that the world is getting worse, not better. So even though we've got more people out of poverty than any time in human history, right? right. Um, even though every, uh, we have more technology, everything's better than ever, they're trying to make it seem like the world is actually worse. So they brought back all this, again, the socialist agenda has brought back, you know, uh, all the systematic problems and all these things. And again, that's to push socialism. Again, that's per Karl Marx's teaching. So they have to make it seem that the world is, is going to end imminent. It's an imminent danger. And that's what they're using climate change for. As, as AOC quoted, again, the world will end in 12 years if we don't fix this today. So this is not a, you would say they don't actually believe the world is going to end. It's a tool being used to get to a more specific agenda item. Well, let me uh, let me let me let me uh, rephrase. Let me let me answer that question with uh, with some good data. So, um, it's well known that crowdsourced information is very reliable. So, what I mean is, at a county fair, you have a jar full of jelly beans, and everybody puts a guess in the jar. At the end, they add them all up and they average it, and they get very closely. We've we've seen this. Uh, this happens in Vegas with odds. Uh, on betting odds. And we saw it in the last presidential election where the betting markets were way more reliable sure. than the polls, right? Well, the stock market the or the market is the biggest betting market in the entire world. Mm -hmm. It's easy for me to lie on a poll. I'm going to vote for this person, but I, I vote someone else. But when I put my money in, I have skin in the game. So the, yeah. the market is really tells us the sentiment of the world, right? So um, do, do I or do you believe that the world is going to come to an end? The oceans are going to rise and kill everybody like they say? Well, it's not really what you or I believe. What is, what is, what's the market telling us? And if anyone's paying attention, beachfront property 
is going up at astronomical right, right, right. rates. <laughs> People aren't and, bailing on their uh, their condos. So does the market price in that the oceans are going to rise and ruin beachfront property? The markets are not pricing that in. Now let's let's even go a step further. So okay, that's the market, but but people are dumb. Okay, so let's <laughs> let's table that. One of the biggest proponents of this is of course Obama. Obama has been pushing this agenda, and he just spent what ten, I think twelve or fifteen million dollars to buy a beachfront property. Right, right. So if Obama himself really believed this, would he be buying a house on the beach? Wow. So who? Who is pulling the string? You, you, you mentioned several organizations. I mean, when we talk about AOC and the squad and the Green New Deal and Bernie Sanders, is this ideology to them or is there someone actually pushing them to go out and be the mouthpiece for this? Um, I believe, well, I, I would say it's probably, it's, it's really all been headed up by uh, Al Gore. I think he's kind of been at the forefront of all this, uh, but in, in conjunction with the World Economic Forum. So again, yeah. it's not, it's not conspiracy. Just go, anybody that's listening, just go to their website, type in World Economic Forum and just, just look what their agenda is. And of course they have all their names and pictures on there. So it's Klaus Schwab, it's right. Prince Charles, or, um, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, George Soros, it's Al Gore, it's all these people and their names and pictures are on there and they, and they tell you exactly what their agenda is. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I just encourage everyone to go do their own research, but it's, it's not a conspiracy. It's, they're, they're, they're out in the open about it now. That's it. All flying around private jets. <laughs> yeah. And they're all flying around in private jets. So, you know, uh, and part of, and part of what they're also trying to do and, 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 and I hate to get into, uh, opinions and guesses like what's really in their mind. Do they really believe this or is this just a control thing? And it's probably a 50, 50 thing. But again, to your point about the private jets, if they really believed it again, just like Obama buying a beachfront property, right. if they really believe that, uh, airplanes were really killing the, t uh, the environment, then why are they all flying around in the private jets? And yeah. so it's not about really what I believe or what you believe. It's like, what is the market pricing in and what are they themselves doing about it? Yeah. And so if they if they really cared, then they would be doing their part to to change things. But of course, it's not for them. It's for us. Right. That's right. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Mark, there's a lot more to this conversation. Obviously, where can people uh, listening or watching follow you, learn more about uh, what you do, which this is not, as you mentioned, all that you do. Uh, you talk about markets and a lot of different things. How can people follow you? Where can people keep in touch with what you're doing? Yeah. So um I, I have a YouTube channel. You can just find it. Just search Mark Moss on YouTube and you can find me. Um, I, I, I try to focus on uh, the money side of things. And so this conversation came up because it's a money conversation, right. obviously, as we've already talked about, they want to spend 30 to $90 trillion. And what's that going to do to the world? Right. How are they going to get the money? Um, but if you like those types of topics, of course, um, just, just go to YouTube, search Mark Moss. Uh, I'm also pretty active on um, Twitter as well. And so you can just find me there at the number one Mark Moss. Awesome. Mark Moss, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. This is such an important conversation because it drives just about everything in our lives. I was going to say everything, uh, maybe not our relationship with God, but just about everything else in our lives is driven by this conversation, as Mark illustrated so well, whether it's the financial impact of that, the environmental impact of that, uh, control, power, all of these things that we talk about are moved by this conversation about energy. And I'm glad that we could have the conversation. I want to sum up to the best of my ability for you today with today's situation report. Number one, having this conversation, really trying to get a grasp on what's right, what's not right, what's possible, what's impossible, does not make you either a communist or someone who hates the environment. Uh, so many of these conversations, these important cultural conversations, 
pigeonhole us into a place where we're for this party or that party. We're on this side or that side, when really the reality is much more nuanced than that. And we need to be willing to investigate, willing to gather information and figure out what we actually believe. That's a starting point. The second point uh, that I'd like to draw out is this one. Uh, There are real laws in place that makes some of these things, these technologies, possible or impossible. And I'm not talking about laws that are governed by politicians. Uh, Mark did such a great job of, of talking about this. But there are real laws, physical laws. Uh, there are laws of nature that govern whether or not some of these things can happen. And even... What are the more important things that we should be focused on? Uh, Again, spoken so well, but maybe because of the laws of nature, because of uh, so many of these uh, physiological things that are just realities, that are truths, that are laws, we should be focused on how to make some of the existing technologies cleaner. And we could examine those things, of course, but there are real implications. Politicians don't necessarily know how it all works. Very important conversation for us to have. And then finally, and again, this is one that we have to be careful not to uh, overstep how we feel about this, but we've got to back up when we're looking at some of these issues and ask the question, what's actually behind this? The people who are talking about this, the people who are pushing these policies and demanding that we comply, uh, how are they living? What are they doing? What do they actually believe? And again, as was so well stated, what does the market indicate people, by and large, believe about what's being said? What's really behind it? I encourage you all of the time to get beneath the headlines, figure out what's actually going on. This conversation is a conversation where that is absolutely necessary. That is your situation report for today. Thank you for joining us. Look forward to talking to you next time. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.